I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Welcome back to a long-awaited episode of We Talking About Podcasts. I'm here with Josh Wilson, as always, from Sixer Sense. Uh, and as always, I want to shout out Lark underscore Minch for doing our uh, intro song. You did a great job on that, and we're very grateful for that. We took a long holiday break just because, you know, I think we deserve it. But we're back, and we're talking Sixers. Uh, Josh, what is your what has been your overall uh, thought about how well the Sixers have been playing in these last couple of weeks? It's been absolutely crazy, and it was really interesting for me because I was home away from school while the Sixers were doing well, and my family typically does not watch the Sixers unless I'm home. So they are basically convinced that the Sixers are the best team in the NBA because they only saw them play when they were really, really good. So that's interesting. I've like half convinced my father to become a Sixers fan, and he previously was a uh, like half supporter of the Knicks. So that's something. But uh, big change. Yeah, absolutely. It's been it's been an interesting little run here, and it's been even more interesting because the whole league is shocked, but even Sixers fans are shocked, which is kind of astounding because Sixers fans have been a little bit irrational in some cases over the last few years, but it's been great. I don't know. What, what's your overall take on it? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely exciting to watch. It's the most exciting basketball we've seen in the past three seasons. I'm not totally convinced that it's kind of like a, you know, like this is it, like they're going to be like this for the rest of the season kind of thing. I think they did hit a hot streak and we'll see them kind of regress a little bit to the mean this year and to what we've expected them. But this definitely proves that they are in a better state um, because they can go on these runs. And once they piece together this team, you'll see them become a real threat in the East, which is really what it came down to, right? I mean, seeing Embiid come back and seeing him lead this team to victory. And then when even when he's out, we see Noel and Rashawn Holmes stepping in and winning. It, it's been It's been really fun to watch, and I think – it is signs that they are improving and that they, that they can become a force. But at the same time, I'm not ready to pin them as like an eight seed automatically right now. Yeah, for me, it's been interesting because I kind of have been an offensive supporter, like my entire fandom experience in the NBA. So to see a team do really well firsthand defensively, like almost single-handedly with their defense has been yeah. really shocking for me and interesting. And Definitely a little bit eye-opening for me as well because uh, I really liked Okafor because he was, you know, an offensive type of player. But I'm starting to edge over to the Noel side because he's really him backing up Embiid has been one of the big things I think that has helped this team keep winning. Um, because I don't, I think without him, and obviously it's not just him on the defensive end. Everybody has really been locking down. Uh, but without him, it's very tough, I think, for the Sixers to win a lot of the games that they won. Yeah, I think you're like seeing Noel's stardom finally come into place. I mean, he's he's been a really good defensive center his whole career, but this season you're really starting to see his impact on the team um, and just how much defensive prowess he really has. But I think that's another reason why we won't see Noel around um, after this season or for much longer, just because this this kid's a stud and he's going to get paid like a stud. So it goes back to that same question we've been asking, you know, do the Sixers pay Noel 
Um, do they match any offer Noel gets in restricted free agency? If I'm Brian Colangelo, I'm probably saying no to that. But at the same time, it's hard to see such a great talent walk away. Yeah, and it's been kind of hard for me not to think that maybe that there's a purpose to him playing so much because there was a very sudden switch with him and Okafor. He was like they basically said Noel was not going to be playing and that Okafor was going to be playing. And now the Sixers are, you know, in a sense, showing him off to the league and showing what he can do. Maybe not necessarily with the uh, purpose of trying to sell him to another team right now and get a trade value out of him, but that definitely could come out of, you know, all the minutes that he's getting. I mean, the more minutes he gets, the more the league is going to see what he can do and the more interest he's going to gather from teams around the league. So that could be a secondhand impact of the more minutes that he's been getting is that we could see him be moved instead of Okafor because there's really like not that there's a ton of value on Noel right now, but it seems like there's even less on Okafor at the moment. Yeah, I I would say that there is pretty good value on Noel actually, but it goes again, uh, you really have to think about it. And a lot of people are in this idea that you could match any offer and then sell him while he's under contract. Uh, That's a risky, it it could, it's a good idea, but it's also a risky move because if you end up can't moving him, then you're stuck paying Noel somewhere 20 to 25 mil next season um, while you also have Joel Embiid up for contract who, if he makes an all-NBA team, could make 30% of the cap. So there's over half your cap going to guys who play the same position and one of them being a backup to another. So, again, it's not there's no question that Noel is impactful on this team, but it's one of those uh, financial situations. Can we work it in a way where we can still secure – and bead and then add another piece to the puzzle to push his team forward. It's all, it's all hypothetical and in question right now, but it, it's a very real thought that Colangelo's uh, thinking about when deciding about Noel. Yeah. If the, if the team decides that they're willing to kind of keep Noel and keep the log jam for the long haul and really wait out until they can get the most value, then I can see why you would justify keeping them past the season and uh, just signing Noel to whatever, uh, offer comes his way this summer uh, but it's tough because you're at the mercy of other teams and you do have that luxury to be able to you know re-sign him even if he gets you know lucrative offers elsewhere uh, whereas if he was an unrestricted free agent he could just walk for whatever uh, but there's a lot of moving pieces and we'll basically I feel like have a little bit more information next month when the trade deadline comes around uh, because that's been the question all year is, will the Sixers make a move before the deadline or will they just you know, stick it out with all three big men? Yeah, it goes back to team philosophy a little bit too. If you like, I think this team is starting to turn the corner and really try to push for piecing together um, a team that could compete in the near future. Not right now, but in the near future, sooner than we thought. Um, if this situation played out like last offseason or two offseason ago, I, I would totally be all on board with signing Noel and keeping him for the you know long haul until his value's up. But this team could very well be in a position to challenge for that uh, for that seventh or eighth seed next season. And it's just it's just going to be interesting to see how the front office plays it. And I'm really excited. But um, you say you did mention Okafor just randomly uh, fell out of the rotation. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, again, it could be that reason you said for Noel showcasing for showcasing Noel's talents, but could it be that Okafor has really just been playing that poorly? He has been playing pretty poorly. I mean, it's been hard for, I mean, you and I have been 
pretty supportive of Okafor through last season at least. And for me this season, it's been I've seen a lot of what people were saying last year with the laziness and stuff, and it, it definitely hasn't improved. I feel like it's gotten worse, um, and it's just kind of ugly to watch his game right now. Uh, then again, we also haven't seen him play significant minutes in weeks now. Is I think um, we haven't seen him play like consecutive games in a in a while, so. It's kind of tough to say that, you know, this whole season was a wash because he hasn't really gotten the minutes to to show, you know, what he can do. Uh, but I do want to say it's been really impressive how well he's taken the benching. Like, he has really not complained at all, um, despite all of the nasty criticisms that are coming his way, even though he's not getting the minutes to prove himself and prove those doubters wrong. Uh, he's not said anything bad, whereas, you know, we obviously all know what Nolan Noel said before the season about the Sixers. So I thought I think that's been interesting as far as Okafor. Um, what's your take on his, his recent benching and play overall this season? Because I feel like we haven't talked yeah. about that a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, again, like our whole basis last season was he only played 53 games and you got to give him time to improve. Uh, I'm still kind of on that. You got to give him time to improve kind of thing. But I just think it's not you know, that marriage with the Sixers isn't there. You know, like, he, I think he could become a, a good NBA player. I'm not saying he could become an all-star or a top-level uh, center in the league, but he could be a, a productive player for if you ship him to another team that really needs it. And like, he's not a lost cause, but he's a lost cause for the Sixers, and I've been beating that narrative over the head um, for months now. But uh, – I think he's he's just got a lot to improve on, and there's a lot of distraction and uh, media negative media attention he's getting in Philly. Uh, some of it's unfair. Some of it, you know, he deserved with some with uh, his play because, again, it all comes down to effort on the court. I think he puts in the effort off the court, but he just tires out so easy that you just see him give up towards the end of games. Like you see him in the first five minutes, he's very energetic defensively and on the boards and. You're like, okay, maybe we'll see that Okafor game that we're expecting, but it, it's just not there right now. And I, I think a change of scenery would be best for him and the Sixers just to figure out this whole front court situation. Yeah, it's been just really frustrating to see a lot of fans kind of rule him out as an NBA player, even though he's been in probably the worst situation he will ever be in as an NBA player. So I think with another you know, another coaching situation, another team situation where he's I, maybe not the, the starting center, but a backup center, you know, he could be really good. Uh, and Darian May, who was awesome on our last episode of this podcast, recently wrote an article on just how the criticism has been super unfair about Okafor and it's gotten really personal. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely not not the brightest we've seen from Sixers fans. Yeah, I mean, Philly fans have have done this to various athletes. Michael Carter Williams, Andre Iguodala is a big one. Uh, again, it just comes down to you can't attack a guy personally because you don't like what he's doing on the court. And especially for a kid who's 20, 21 years old, like he's still got the you know his mentality is at a fragile state right now. You know, and he keeps getting that negative attention. It could end up breaking him. But I think overall he's handled it pretty well and. Um, hopefully gets back on the court and gets to audition for some other teams because, uh, I, you know, you still want to wish a guy this bet the best in his career, but right now for the Sixers, he's just not a necessity. 
Yeah, it's always interesting too because the uh, the parents of the players always end up being the one throwing the tantrums. Uh, that's happened for All like right. three years in a row now or something, right? Yeah, yeah. You've had the Kendall Marshall uh, situation with your father, with his father. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and then a year before that, wasn't it? Um, who was it? Uh, KG McDaniel's mom. Yes. Yeah. And then this year, yeah. Jaws' dad kind of went on a little bit of a tantrum. Yeah, there. I mean, again, it just shows you that. You know, these guys aren't just players and robots. You know, they have families, people that care about them. It's, it's tough. I mean, those tantrums maybe are, are take it a little too far, but it just shows that frustration when you hear all that negativity about someone close to you. But, you know, again, that's just part of social media and the world we live in right now. We're going to get parents of players, like, going at writers and media members. It's just it's just a natural, uh, natural war in the uh, game we call journalism nowadays. So, Yeah. I do want to backtrack a little bit and talk about um, we were talking about the success just a minute ago and how that's kind of changed the philosophy of the team. And uh, TJ McConnell recently, the the Cavaliers showed some interest in trading for him and uh, they didn't offer much. But it's just interesting also to see that, you know, players that we pretty much ruled out as having a future in this league outside of the Sixers are actually getting attention on other teams. And it's just uh, it's. It's interesting to see what these these hinky pickups have turned into, and how the Sixers have really you know developed quite strongly a lot of these players. And TJ looks like he could be an option as a backup point guard moving forward. And earlier in the season, even we didn't think that. Right. I mean, I think pretty sure on our last podcast, uh, I know at least me and Darian had him ruled out <laughs> of the NBA after this season or out of the, off the Sixers rosters um, after this season. But I mean, he's just. He's again. He's one of those guys where you continue to doubt and continue to doubt, and he just proves you wrong. So, it's, it's good to see him draw interest from other teams. And again, like you brought up a good point, those hinky pickups. You know, we see them. They come into the league. Oh, and we hear. Oh, if they were on a other roster, they would never get this chance. I think that's all part of the process. You know, you pick up guys you that would never get a chance otherwise, and then you see if they can grow into something special. And McConnell has done that. Um, for other players, it hasn't worked out as well. But Jakar Sampson last season was picked up by the Nuggets. Uh, Jordan McRae was a second-round pick who was actually offered for TJ McConnell, you know, won a championship <laughs> last year with Cleveland. Um, Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant is is uh, he's having a pretty good season over there in Oklahoma City Thunder. That must, might be one of the most, you know, um, win-win deals we've seen in recent history for two teams. You know, both sides really benefited from that. Yeah, it is. It's really funny to see, uh, you know, a hinky pickup offered for another hinky pickup. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that would have totally been an awful deal for the Sixers to take. By the way, like Completely McConnell agree. is performing at such a high level compared to. I mean, we don't see much of McRae, but it's just not even close. Like McRae, McRae could be a good NBA scorer, and Sixers do need a scorer. But you you take away one of probably the best playmaker on the team right now the best healthy playmaker on the team. It's just, it wouldn't have made sense for the Sixers, for the Cavs. It would have made all the sense in the world, but that's what you get when you, when you, uh, when you ship a lot of your assets and your cash strats. So that's the, that's one of the the gifts and the curse of having a guy like LeBron James and his boys. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, what are you talking about TJ McConnell? Um, you know, he, he's pretty much solidified himself as a future backup point guard, at least for next season. What do you think about Sergio Rodriguez now? I know I was big on him 
uh, this year, the beginning of this year. I love the signing, but he's uh, he's fizzled out ever since uh, getting sick with the the of course very famous infectious diarrhea. <laughs> uh, but um, what do you what do you think about his chances of returning to the Sixers next season? Uh, I I do think it's going to have a lot to do with how Ben Simmons plays as a playmaker when he comes back this year. I think if you've got Ben Simmons who can work as a starting playmaker very well, and you have T.J. McConnell below him who can you know do a decent job moving the ball around, facilitating for his teammates, there's really not a whole lot of reason to bring Sergio back. Um, it's all going to come down to as with any contract, uh, the price. Because Sergio does seem to, you know, genuinely enjoy the environment in Philadelphia, the city, uh, so he might be willing to take a lesser deal. Um, but if he's asking for a lot of money, which, you know, he's he did prove himself pretty well in the beginning of the year, so he could have that leverage with other teams to be able to do that. Uh, I, I wouldn't think that he would be back with the Sixers. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, I mean, maybe they signed him to another short-term deal, like another one-year deal. Uh, what would you, would you do the trade if it was Rodriguez for McRae? I think that makes a lot more sense for the Sixers right. in the short term. Uh, definitely. Long term, I don't know. But well, yeah, definitely that's, it, that's a lot better than TJ, I think. Which is weird yeah. because if you asked me that a month ago, it would have been completely flip-flopped. Oh, man. I would have probably like flipped out You know how big I was on Sergio <laughs> Rodriguez. But um, yeah, and another guy who could affect this this situation maybe not as much but is uh chasen randall who after two 10-day contracts um was finally signed to a long-term deal it's uh three years uh partially guaranteed is uh this the rest of this season uh next year is not guaranteed but the third season is guaranteed um that was a report by uh the verticals shams terania uh, i don't I have no clue if i pronounced that right but um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, what are your thoughts on Chase and Randall? We haven't gotten to see much of him, but do you, do you like the pickup, or is it one of those, um, you know, why not just take a flyer on this guy and see if he works? I was a little bit surprised to see it. Um, it does kind of stink for the Sixers that they couldn't offer him one more 10-day contract because uh, they could have played him a little bit more because I'm looking at his stats now, and he's played literally just 29 minutes. And a lot of those yep. minutes are in garbage time, and we haven't really seen probably what is the real Chase and Randall. Um, but he has shown some nice glimpses of play, and there's really not a whole lot of negatives to bringing him on, uh, especially with his, his contract being uh, non-guaranteed. Um, so I think it's fine. I don't think he's. I still don't think he's going to see many minutes uh, per game, but it could end up being you know one of the big upside moves. I mean, we were just talking about all these players we kind of ruled out as NBA players, and he could certainly turn into that. It's just going to be tough moving forward uh, to kind of work those players in because as the Sixers get more competitive, there's less room to offer those players minutes to get them that experience development. But that behind-the-scenes development is also incredibly valuable. I think we saw that. I think the Sixers have proven that they're good at that behind-the-scenes development, especially with how – incredible Embiid was coming into this season after not playing at all for two years. Right. I think that's a testament to Brett Brown and developmental coach coaching staff. Uh, also, you know, the roster moves to pick those players up and kind of take a chance on them. Uh, but I agree with you with Randall. I was, I was a little surprised to see it just because we haven't seen a lot of him. Um, but I was thinking about it more. Uh, 
say hypothetically the Sixers do regress and this season that is, and you know, kind of fall out of that playoff hunt and you know talk they're they're back into the bottom of the league. I you know I wouldn't see a reason why they don't play Randall give give a share of Rodriguez's minutes to Randall and kind of see him play out. Another aspect I thought about, not really sure how it works just because it's so new, but um, next season the uh, the CBA will um, will come into effect this offseason. So um, this, teams will now be allowed two, two-way roster spots, they're calling it. So that's two additional roster spots where they can um, use on players that with two-way contracts with the D-League so they can send them up and down without um, without taking up a roster spot like it would now. You know, like that Christian mm-hmm. Wood scenario last year where, you know, they had to keep waving him and then bringing him up, bringing him up and stuff like that. And just he's him holding up a roster spot was, you know, was it was difficult for the Sixers to work out their roster and the roster play that way. But next season with this two roster spots being opened just to two way players, uh, that could be that could be important for Randall. You know, I don't know if his contract falls under that just because, again, the CBA is a little new and I'm not the biggest expert on it. But we could see Randall be in that two way situation where. Uh, you know, he's in the D league and maybe the Sixers like what they see. They bring him up and throw someone else in that reserve slot. So it, it's a deal. It's a great deal for Randall and he seems like a good locker room guy. So I don't, again, like you said, I don't see any negatives coming from this, but you know, the positives are, are marginal at best. Yeah. I think I completely forgot about those, uh, those two way things that are added in the new CBA. There's a lot of little gimmicks that are going to be interesting to see how they play out and how teams decide to use them. Uh, I think that one is great to see, you know, the, the NBA wanting to utilize the D league more. Um, and what you said about Jason, as far as being energetic in the locker room and stuff, he absolutely did as much as he could to prove himself on the bench. Uh, you know, just being the first guy up to celebrate for his teammates. And uh, he was, he was great in that regard. Definitely, definitely. Uh, what else did we did we want to talk about today? Uh, let's talk about the All Star snub. Oh yes, how could I forget about the All Star snub? Joel Embiid gets snubbed of a reserve spot despite probably having one of the most historic rookie seasons we're seeing. Um, and of course, guess who gets the brunt of the blame? Paul Millsap, Atlanta Hawks forward, who ends up getting that reserve spot. Um, he's just seems to always get into the all-star game and he's one of those quiet consistent players that just puts up pretty pretty big numbers uh doesn't do anything exciting or anything like that but you know he was still worthy of the all-star spot but the sixer fan base was a was a little harsh on that and understandably so because Embiid looked like he was on the fast track to becoming a rookie all-star uh it didn't happen what are your thoughts on it tell me about your Embiid snub sadness I'm thoroughly disappointed um, because it feels like a lot of the reason he didn't get in was strictly youth. Um, right. I'm not incredibly surprised that he didn't get in, but at the same time, it did feel like he should have been there. It's going to be nice to still see him there at All-Star Weekend, like we've seen a couple of the Sixers in the past few years at the Rising Stars Challenge. Um, but it's just not the same. That game is never never quite the statue of the, the All-Star game. So, because we can't see Embiid in the uh, All Star in the All Star game, and we haven't really 
seen anyone any of the Sixers in any of the uh, other All Star competitions between besides the Rising Stars. Uh, what are your thoughts? Who would be the best Sixers dunk contest competition? Uh, I want to say. A guy like Rashawn Holmes would be really fun to see in the dunk contest. I've seen him throw down some pretty monstrous dunks the past few games. Uh, the dunk contest is about creativity, so I don't know how Rashawn would be in that regard. But he's been pretty fun to watch in game dunking this year. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great, great uh, choice. I, you know, in the past we would say Jeremy Grant. Um, I like Nick Stauskas a lot. Oh, <laughs> I is, think he- that is a good one. I think I think he could I think he could bring that sauce in the in the competition for sure. I think he would he would have the creativity for sure. Yeah, definitely. That and you know he's just like he's got that personality where I feel like everybody would just love the dunks just because it's Nick Stauskas. We've seen a lot done with food type products in the past few not past few years but past years in the dunk contest. I remember it was I can't remember who but somebody's birthday and they had the cupcake. Gerald Green. Yeah. Gerald Green cupcake dunk. So if we could see some hot sauce action somehow involved in the dunk contest yeah that would be crazy um yeah that's those are the really the only two i can think of that would be really good nobody else throws down really two emphatic dunks you know yeah uh how about the three-point contest this one this one could be a little tougher but uh i would i mean sauce has been good from behind the line for the most part but ursan ursan is probably obviously the three-point shooter of the sixers right now having made the astonishing amount of three-pointers in consecutive games that he has. So I would go with Ersan. Yeah, I'd probably go with Ersan as well. Joel Embiid would be fun to watch in it, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his spot really, the only threes that we've really seen him hit are from above the break. So I, it would be interesting to see what he'd be like, you know, in all spots of the floor. But I, I would probably go Ersan as well. And I, plus, Ersan, like, is a volume shooter, so I feel like with the more shots he puts up, like, they'll just fall. Yeah, and I do – I do want to say that for all of these, I would probably say Joel Embiid, but I'm having to stop myself and choose other players on the roster because I, I genuinely feel like Joel could do well in all of the you know the supplemental contests that the All Star Weekend has. Yeah, definitely. I, I that's just how good he is. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no there's nothing really much else to say about that. <laughs> um, there's also the skills challenge. Who you got for that? Oh yeah, I'd probably have to go Sergio. Really? Um, yeah, I, I, I think, think I would go with charge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that too. Uh, don't they end it? They one of them's a three, right? I like think so. I think. Well, I think you end do. on a layup. You start on a three. Yeah. Some. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. You know, the I I could see Sarge excel in that too. I think with both Sarge and Sergio, that that would be the hardest thing. The three, just because you know they they they're able to hit it, but. You know, they're not the most consistent outside shooters. Yeah, it could take a couple tries. I think uh, Timote would be okay besides the three-pointer as well in that. Yeah, I, I think I think if we're talking this, we're having the same conversation in two years, I think Timothy Lawawukabaro is without a doubt the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's all the single-player supplementals, right? There's that weird team yeah. challenge that they do, which would actually be cool to see the Sixers do because I think they bring – a classic player in, um, and a WNBA oh, really? player. Yeah, they usually have like a, a a throwback player in a WNBA, which the Sixers don't have, which is why they wouldn't get into it. Unless they changed it in recent years, but they could bring in like a Charles Barkley or a, a World Be Free would be sick to see on one of those team how contests. About a, how about K 
Kevin Hart, Philly native, would you see? <laughs> would you would you think he'll ball out again in the Celebrity All Star game? Absolutely. I mean, he's so fun. He's so fun. He's been at Sixers games the past couple games. Too. Yeah, because everybody wants to go to Sixers games. With me, he was in with Meek's posse, and like I could just imagine that conversation, like Meek Mill and Kevin Hart. That'd just be stuff of legends, really. There's a lot of Philly uh, residents, celebrities that have been coming out to the games and making the you know the courtside really fun. Like M Night Shyamalan rang the yeah, bell rang a couple nights bell. ago and then came back for another game as well. Uh, yeah. So it has been crazy. Um, just you know us normal people are enjoying the Sixers, but it's, it's much more than that. It's, you know, the celebrities, the, the general fans, the NBA, they're, they're really popular right now. And that's so weird to say, given what the last few years were. And as a result of that, there's some, you know, people who are oddly surprised and crediting Brian Colangelo over a lot of this. Like, I don't know if you saw Mark Jones, what he said, uh, but that was completely off. And that's a result of, the national media not really covering the Sixers. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree with you on that. But it is what it is. That's going to happen when you tank. And speaking of tanking, I have Luke Walton recently said something about not believing in tanking whatsoever um, with the Lakers or at all, really. Um, and I fans were kind of surprised. They were like, oh, that's kind of like what the Lakers are doing, what they have to do to get successful. But it... He's the coach. He wants to win. I, and we never really saw Brett Brown. I mean, Brett Brown was out there to win every night, even throughout the, the tanking right. stage. So I thought it was interesting that people thought Luke Walton was crazy for saying something like that. Yeah, no. I mean, your job as a coach is to develop these kids and, and win games at the same time. You know, like that's your job. You don't have any – you have little control over roster building. You're pretty much just given the roster and they tell you, hey, do what you can with this, right? So with the Lakers, it was kind of more of an unintentional tank in a way where they were relying on their young core maybe a little too soon. And, I mean, it started off great. We all we all were thinking, oh, no, you know, like this this protected pick may not end up as well as good as we thought. But now they're, they have the second worst record in the NBA and people are staring, looking at Luke Walton, like what happened? But, it, you know, the roster build was not ready for a playoff run like that and Luke Walton's one of the brightest young coaches in the league. So for him to say, like, I don't believe in tanking, that's just – that's normal to me. I mean, you know, you don't believe in tanking, but your team's going to lose games and you're going to end up with a great pick. You know, it might not be tanking. It may be just poor management decisions. But either way, you're going to get – you're going to get a great young player out of it. So if people are really questioning Luke Walton on, oh, the Lakers shouldn't tank, you know, they really just have to get a reality check on – the past coaches that have been part of tanking teams and Brett Brown's a prime example of that. Yeah. And it's a lot of, I mean, the Lakers with the historical implications that they have, have a lot of fans that follow that are kind of just general NBA fans. And uh, right. so a lot of those fans don't really necessarily understand the, the differences between a management standpoint and a coaching standpoint and how those two things overlap. And I think that's why that specific quote, I can't actually find it right now, but why that, uh, kind of rub some people the wrong way because it's just not something that's understood in the mainstream NBA. Completely agree. Um, let's get to some uh, Twitter questions right now. Uh, we had a couple. We would appreciate some more. Uh, you guys can always add us on Twitter. You could add Josh at, at JD Sports Blog, me at, at Georgie the Greek, or our podcast one at We Talk About Pod. 
Um, our first one is from our friend David uh, Ramil. Ramil. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name. Sorry, David. But uh, his at name is at D R A M I L 13. He's a great writer. Writes for fan sided. Um, probably one of the better basketball writers out there. Uh, he asks us. Um, how do you see the Sixers adjusting to Embiid being in and out of the lineup? And what kind of adjustments do they make for either scenario? So um, I'll start off with this one. I mean, being in the lineup, you know, you can pretty much uh, – you, you want to get some spacing in there with Embiid in the lineup. And you, you, you can still let him work on one-on-one situations in isolation, which is perfect. That's the benefit of having a star. Uh, with him being out, I would – try to think that you would try to speed up the pace of the offense. That's what Brett Brown seems to like to do. Um, and they have the perfect backup centers with, for that in New Orleans Noel and Rashawn Holmes. So um, with Embiid in the lineup, you can still play that space, uh, that pace in space. But um, you have that bailout in isolation mode. So it's kind of like building around a star, right? Like you want to build your whole offense around that star. Uh, but at the same time, you still want to have the pieces that complement them out there. Uh, with him being out, you just have you're just in the position where you can run the floor a little more, and um, you can run it with spacing as well. Yeah, I think when he's in, it's you know it's all about getting him involved in the offense and getting him involved as much as possible. Um, and when he's out, we see a little bit more of a a balanced roster. And I think as you know he develops and gets more used to playing, we're going to see that kind of even out, and there will be a balanced roster even when he's in the game. Uh, right. But just to compensate for you know his such his incredibly high usage rate, um, when he's out, there has to be you know more talent spread out spread out on the lineup. Right, definitely agree. Um, we also have another question um, about Embiid from our friend Ty Windish, who uh, does his own podcast, Time Out with Ty, and writes for Behind the Buck Pass. Uh, you follow him at at Ty Windish. Um, did Nerlens Noel's strong performances without Embiid last week change your thoughts on him at all? I think we we kind of alluded to this earlier in the podcast. I think definitely I'm feeling more confident in Nerlens Noel with the Sixers long term. And again, I want to reiterate that that doesn't mean Jaleel doesn't have a spot in this league and that he doesn't have a place where he can be successful because I, I do think he's a good NBA player. I do think he can be a good NBA player in a specific role. It's just not with the Sixers. But Noel, Noel has proven that he's probably the best option to have, you know, behind Embiid in the center. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, there's nothing really for me to elaborate on that. But <laughs> um, One of our other buddies, Christopher Klein, writes for Sixers Sense at Klein NBA. Is it safe to assume Embiid is better than MJ yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Right now, he's definitely got uh, the the showings that he could be like as impactful, especially to Sixers fans. As far as in the NBA, we shall see. <laughs> I mean, people don't even consider LeBron better than MJ. But for the sake of being a Philly podcast, yes, Christopher. <laughs> Embiid is better than MJ, for sure. <laughs> it, it's weird that that's like kind of a tough question to approach. It, it, it should definitely be a no-brainer that MJ is better, but it's it, it's just so interesting. You, ne- you never want to really outright say it because you just know like the backlash you'll get. Oh yeah, you, you don't like Embiid? <laughs> exactly. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, say before we um, we head out? 
I do not. Go Sixers. The second, this post-All-Star break is going to be brutal I'm looking at the schedule, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully, like Ben Simmons, we will be returning soon with another podcast. Um, you can follow Josh at JD Sports Blog, and you can find all his writing at Sixer Sense, uh, one of the top Sixer site, fan sites uh, out there right now. Uh, you can follow me at Georgie the Greek. Um, follow the uh, site that I write for, um, just Section 215, which I'm editor of. And also follow at 16 Wins a Ring. It's a new general basketball site. Uh, make sure, again, to give a follow to at We Talking About Pod. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, um, leave some comments. They're always, they're always appreciated. And uh, give, us a, give us a nice little five star rating because we love Embiid just like you do. Uh, once again, follow our um, intro guy, our intro music guy, at Mark underscore Lynch. And uh, keep on watching the Sixers. And yeah, go Sixers. Go Sixers.